Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So I think that we're gonna have quite a quite a good conversation here, and I think that you all are really going to enjoy our guest today. Uh, he has built a really amazing company. I mean, the the journey and how he's gone from research and PhD to really like building something you know meaningful, and he's gonna tell us about it. I think that you guys are really going to enjoy, you know, the process of building, scaling, you know, raising capital, all of that. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Dilip Goswami. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alejandro. Thank you for having me here. So born in North Carolina, I mean, obviously your your parents, immigrants from India. So, you know, I'm sure that that you growing up, you saw like the hard work and, and perhaps, you know, like going at it and, and into the uncertainty kind of thing, no? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so with my parents, they, you know, their background is, of course, that they're they're immigrants from India. My father came here to the states to actually do his PhD here uh, at Auburn University, and uh, and you know, quite a bit of my family have gone through that that immigrant journey. They were even before that, actually, they were uh, they had been refugees, uh, traveled to uh, to India from uh, uh, during the partition of India, and uh, and. And had to, you know, really scrap to get uh, scholarships to get educated at the highest levels, uh, and and that certainly that ethic has been, a, you know, really fundamental to shaping my approach to life and uh, and and how I how I look at doing things. And obviously, your your mother a chemist, your father a distinguished professor. I mean, you know, growing up also, I know that uh, you dealt with some uh, challenges. You no, know, when it came to to allergies, to to also asthma. I mean, I'm sure that that you know really shaped you as a human being, and perhaps how how you look at problems. So tell us what happened there. Yeah, absolutely. So so yeah, you're correct that that my parent you know came from a, a very deep science background. My my father uh, my father of course uh, did his PhD, uh, became a distinguished professor, very well known in the field of solar energy. Uh, Dr. Yogi Swami there, and uh, and my mother was uh, was both a chemist and an entrepreneur. She uh, had a background in analytical chemistry. Ended up opening up her own analytical chemistry lab where she did testing for. 
uh, for various uh, local governments, uh, the state and federal government, in terms of uh, testing samples uh, for complying with uh, with environmental regulations, making sure that water quality was up to par, and uh, and 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 basically doing those kinds of testing. And uh, and so I grew up grew up in that very lab environment. Now the interesting thing is that uh, that that story about how I grew up there in North Carolina and the challenges that I faced really became formative in in the formation of this company Molecule because I grew up with very severe asthma and allergies, and uh, and you know it was a range of different allergies uh, that could trigger my asthma, everything from from food allergies. But the things that really were difficult to control for us were the pollutants in the air, the exposure to those that would trigger my my asthma symptoms and oftentimes end up with me going into the emergency room, my parents rushing me there because I couldn't breathe. Uh, and it was in fact uh, severe enough that we would that we ended up actually getting the uh, the equipment that they would use there, the nebulizers and the various other pieces at home, so that uh, so that we would have them readily available if uh, if a severe asthma attack happened. And uh, and it was that experience that really you know again shaped uh, <laughs> shaped the the company that we ended up building because seeing the difficulty in controlling those pollutants and then the impact that that had on my symptoms was what led my father into um into researching uh you know various ways of you know his background was in solar energy and uh and he had been developing methods for solar water purification my my mother's well had the background in uh in water quality testing and so they were working on on that piece but uh we saw that it was pollutants in the air that were inc- actually incredibly difficult uh, for us to avoid and that were causing these symptoms. And that's what led them down the journey that eventually uh, eventually led to uh, uh, us fi- founding Molecule together. Of course. And, and I know also that, that having your, your father, you know, like being a distinguished professor also, you know, like he was, you know, into research as well as your mom too, no? Like, like really made you spend quite a bit of time in research labs. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say that a lot of my formative experiences growing up uh, happened, uh, you know, tailing them to to their various workplaces, right? So, um, so my father had a, um, uh, a large research lab on solar energy at the University of Florida, and uh, and I spent uh, many summers uh, going over there. Um, it was it was a, actually quite a large research park, so. Um, there's quite a bit of land and area. There was a solar house as well as the labs and various different different um, uh, testing pieces. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time there. I also spent time uh, at my mother's lab. Uh, you know, when she that she she started up, and I got to see a little bit of her entrepreneurial journey. Uh, the environmental testing and and you know, that, that space is a highly regulated space. Um, and it's a, it's a challenging space because when you have a highly regulated space and you have a lot of existing players in that space, it can be challenging to start something new and to compete with them, uh, being, you know, a small, uh, being a small business. And so I, I got to see that I actually ended up helping her one of my, one of the first things, uh, that ended up doing was, uh, was setting up, uh, the the software that these labs use are, are is quite expensive and so we built our own in-house solution while I was in, in high school um, to help her kind of be able to manage uh, manage all the testing data 
and uh, be able to do the analytical work on the IT side without having to purchase that expensive equipment. And and I ended up learning quite a bit. I, I worked with her on the analytical chemistry side, learned how to operate various equipments. At the same time, you know, in my father's lab, we, you know, I worked with them on some of the early pieces of research that ended up uh, uh, resulting in the innovations behind molecules. So, you know, those were those were my formative experiences. And because of that, actually, originally, I hadn't planned to become an entrepreneur. My thought was that science was really exciting, that it could do really positive things in the world uh, from what I had seen from my parents. And I felt like, oh, I'd like to be a professor and academic uh, because it seems like a seems like a pretty good gig where you get the chance to explore these technologies and uh, and you kind of set your own agenda of uh, of what you're um, what you're researching and figuring out. So, and, so and that's, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of like what you did. I mean, you, you obviously did, you know, you went to, to school, you went to college, you know, there in Florida. And then basically what you did is you did a little bit of research. You also did the development, but then you go to Stanford and I know that Stanford opened your eyes in a way that you haven't seen before. What happened there while doing your PhD? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing that was really interesting um, about Stanford was, you know, I had I had seen kind of the tough side of the entrepreneurial journey, but I hadn't gotten to see as much of the possibility of, of what can be done. And one of the things that um, that had bugged me for years, actually, uh, you know, when I had when I started at Stanford was that. I had heard, you know, my father had developed a lot of really interesting technologies. I had heard from not just him, but from his friends, quite a few really exciting innovations that I felt should be out there in the world. And it took years for them to actually appear out there in the world. So, you know, I had this idea, okay, I want to go and and get my PhD at Stanford. I want to focus on doing something world positive uh, with that research. Uh, At the same time, I also had this idea that, oh, but it's, you know, even if you develop something, it still takes decades for it to get out there in the world. So, um, so while I was anxious, I realized, okay, this is a really long journey. But the thing that was different there and that opened my eyes to the possibility was getting involved with the various entrepreneurship programs at Stanford and seeing how quickly something could go from idea to scaled innovation that's helping millions of people out there in the world. And, uh, and so I started working with, uh, uh, you know, the first, the first class I'll credit is, um, while I was at Stanford, uh, Fred Gibbons, who's a professor there, uh, uh, or who's, he was actually the original founder of Harvard graphics, which was the first presentation software. I took a course with him, uh, that was uh, basically a business school course designed for engineers. Uh, so that really opened my eyes to the possibilities. Then I started working with a few programs from the Graduate School of Business on entrepreneurship um, and uh, ended up working on a medical device startup. And through this whole time, I was also talking with and working with my father on the technology behind Molecule. And eventually what I realized was that the best way to make an impact on the world for me was to not be an academic, but to take this entrepreneurship route and uh and you know this technology that uh that my father had been developing in the background that it could actually you know that we could actually help potentially billions of people with this technology 
through an all through a route that um, that Stanford opened my eyes up to, which was the route of entrepreneurship, and especially venture backed entrepreneurship, because that sh- that gave me the idea of okay, well, you can take an idea and scale it actually very quickly, and um, and I remember one of my first uh, in one of my first classes that I took on the side of things, we had uh, we had Mark Andreessen come in, and he talked about his journey from being a a grad student at uh, at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, developing the Mosaic browser to 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 Netscape, and I realized that well, if you have an idea that can change the world. This is probably the right way to do it, as opposed to uh, just trying to to put it out there um, as an academic. So then, what happened next? Obviously, you have this realization, and and you realize that uh, you know becoming an entrepreneur is is the real deal to have a positive impact in the world. So, so what are the next steps that that you took? Yeah, so uh, so that was two thousand nine when I started Stanford by. Um, by the l- latter half of 2014, I was, you know, I had already spent a lot of time working on some of these uh, entrepreneurship courses and working on some of these programs, and I felt like it was the time for me to take that step. So I didn't end up actually finishing that PhD. I got, you know, I, I worked through my master's, but I didn't finish the PhD there at Stanford, and uh, and I decided, you know, I didn't want to wait any longer, so. I took leave uh, from Stanford and ended up. Uh, uh, you know, deciding to to go full time on the company. Now, one of the real uh, accelerating points there was that uh, we had been looking at uh, at various uh, ways to do this, and we felt like okay to to launch something. What we you know what we were trying to do with Molecule was very challenging because we had this technology that my father had developed based on his scientific research. It was uh, what's what we call today photoelectrochemical oxidation or PICO. And essentially it was using uh, light plus a uh, nanoscale catalyst that we had developed to, to chemically break down these pollutants. Now, you know, that sounds, that probably sounds pretty complicated in practice in our device. It's uh, it's fairly simple because we have light shining on this, this filter surface and the, the, there's a reaction happening on that filter surface that's breaking these pollutants down. But taking that, you know, laboratory science out there into the market into a real physically realized product is quite a challenge. So we decided not to go it alone. Uh, we ended up doing an accelerator program uh, that was called Highway One at the time. Uh, we, you know, just it was just just by uh, I would say coincidence and serendipity that we found out about the program uh, because a friend of my sister's. Uh, who she had, uh, who she had met while doing design school, while working at the D school at Stanford, um, was was currently going through that program. She had taken her uh, her project, her thesis project from the D school, and uh, decided to develop that into a company, and was working on this, uh, working with this accelerator to help take that from an idea to an actual. Um, an actual prototype that could be pitched to seed investors to uh, to then. To then build a company around, and so we ended up taking that route. We did the accelerator. Um, we got accepted into the accelerator in uh, in December of 2014, and started in spring of 2015. And that started us on the 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 journey. Now, it was still there's you know there's still plenty of challenges on our way because we we've got uh, this hardware. Um, hardware product with deep science inside, it's not your typical Silicon Valley innovation. And so 
um, we had, you know, we had a, had a long ways to go from there, but that accelerator was our first step into making this a reality and, and really committing to the company full time, uh, and, and diving into it to make sure that this really happens. Got it. So then, so then what happened there? How, how did you dive into it to make sure that it actually yeah. did really happen? Right, right. So we used kind of the network around that accelerator to help us build out the company. So our, you know, demo day, uh, you know, and this is, I think, a good lesson for for people because normally in accelerator, everything builds towards a demo day. Okay. And then you're hoping that your demo day goes well, you have something exciting, people won't come to you, they want to invest. That's not the way that our journey took place. Um, you know, wh- what we had was we we actually built up to and and uh, I think quite an exciting demo day. We had a lot of interest around the company, but uh, but it didn't materialize into you know what you think of as like a, a typical. Well, I don't want to say typical, but what do you think of as the as a type of a YC experience where okay, you do a great demo, you come off stage, and all of a sudden you're you're discussing term sheets that didn't happen to us it was a uh, it was a process so through the accelerator we built up uh, a prototype we built up the positioning around the company we did some early beta tests where we showed some really amazing impacts on on uh on on people and uh and their ability to to potentially breathe with this device and so we had a real great foundation to show that this technology can make a huge impact on the world, and uh, and we have a device that helps people realize what it can be. But we ha- but it took some some grinding uh, after the demo day. So we did end up meeting our seed investor through through the process of that program. But he was somebody who just happened to show up to a mentor day. He didn't end up. Uh, this was uh, Jeff Clavier from Uncork Capital. He didn't actually show up for the demo day, but he showed up for a mentor night. Uh, we talked to him. He was interested. He had experience investing in, in hardware. And so uh, a couple months after uh, the demo day, we ended up uh, doing a meeting with him. And that led to our, you know, that led to him ending up to commit to lead our seed round in the company. And, uh, and, and things started from there. Even beyond that, our first uh, employees. So uh, our first, uh, who was a our first CMO, uh, Peter Rearing Chikala, uh, was actually a mentor at uh, at Highway One, and we reached out to him because we were having some trouble making some uh, decisions around the product. And when we talked to him, he asked us some que- he asked us a range of different questions about the positioning of the customer uh, and and helped to be- helped us to base our decisions on the product based around the positioning of the customer. And so uh, we ended up. You know his background was he had worked at team with teams at IDEO uh, for ten years and, and done a startup himself in the hardware space. So he had gone through the ups and downs of it and uh, ended up coming on as our first employee. So we tried to take whatever network and uh, whatever progress we built uh, at the accelerator, build momentum on that. Um, and then it took took again some some grinding before we could get turn that momentum into reality. But uh, but by the end of 2015, we had done a, uh, a seed round, initial seed round of funding that was 3.25 million in seed funding, and uh, we had uh, we had tapped through the network there to be able to uh, to find a manufacturer to work with, uh, which was quite exciting. And so we were we were well on our way towards uh, making this a company by the end of it. But uh, but it wasn't something that uh, who walked off stage on demo day and uh, and it just got delivered. It took took some real real grind there. 
Got it, got it. So for the people that are listening, what ended up being the business model of Molecule? Yeah, so we have, um, you know, one of the things that we've looked at over time is always trying to learn from what comes before, right? And uh, and with us, there was a natural uh, difference in our business model from your typical hardware company because we have a device uh, and, you know, that's the, the molecule device that has the Pico technology inside. It's an air purifier. Uh, we have a range of products now today, but what we first launched with was the was the molecule air, which was a device that covered about 600 square feet, and uh, and and was able to actually not just filter but destroy the pollutants coming through, which was the key factor, uh, for example, for me in being able to to breathe better. So, um, so that was that was quite powerful. And what we did with the business model was we sold the device up front. But we also have these filters that are necessary to operate the device over time. And we've built that out as a subscription business. So uh, what we looked at there was um, with your typical air purifier, oftentimes what happens is that it's not really clear, you know, when you change your filters, how to buy them, what, you know, do you need to go to Home Depot or can you get them online? Or, you know, these are the typical factors and, and people don't, typically want to we saw with the customers people don't typically want to have to to deal with the mess of doing that so we set things up on the filter side as a subscription with our with the molecule air it's 129 dollars a year filter subscription and that covers all of your filters um, that you need those filters are shipped to you at once every six months and uh, and the device indicates if you if you connect the device um, online to the app it indicates to you when the filters need to be changed so that was an an experience piece that we felt was important to solve and that naturally tailed into the the business model of the company where we sell devices up front but uh but we also have a subscription model got it and and you were alluding to it you know you were talking about jeff clavier and on cork i mean great 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 investor jeff clavier by the way so i guess uh, uh, how much capital have you guys raised to date that is public yeah so we've raised uh we've raised almost 100 million in capital to date and uh, and you know it's been a, it's been an interesting process. Um, I would say you know as a as a hardware company, we've seen both the, the peaks and the valleys of of people sentiment on hardware because um, it's been it, it was quite high when we started. It became quite low. I think there's now interest uh, in hardware again, and uh, people are realizing now that a lot of the real um, a lot of the challenges out there in the world and and. You know, I look at every challenge as an opportunity, but so these a lot of these challenges out there in the world require some some atoms piece, like some physical piece to actually solve them. You have to have some real uh, physical innovation, not just you know, combined with innovation and software to to deliver the maximum level of impact out there in the world. So, um, so we raised a hundred million capital to date, and uh, and you know. Again, it's been a process of ups and downs, but uh, but the exciting piece is that we've been able to find investors who really believe in the mission of the company, and that's something that we've looked for consistently as we've gone through our various rounds of funding. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, you guys have people like Crosslink or Foundry, so great investors. So, so Dilip, I guess, why would you say that hardware is such a beast? Because, I mean, with the hardware founders that I speak with, I mean, they tell me, I mean, hardware is just difficult. You know, when it comes to raising money, like why, why is that really the case? Well, I think it's just, um, you know, 
there's a number of different factors that play into that, right? I think one is that uh, that there are some unique challenges that that come with uh, doing hardware. There's uh, there's you know when you have a huge increase in demand, you have to negotiate that with a supply chain that has that there's sheer physical limitations oftentimes in terms of scaling them up. And then there's also business challenges in scaling them up. So you've got to find uh, the same way as a hardware company, actually, the same way that you go out and pitch investors, you've got to find manufacturers that are are great partners. Uh, we've been able to find that with IEC and Ventec uh, Corporation. They've, uh, you know, they've been great uh, partners to us. And, uh, and so, you know, we have that now, but it's, it's not, it's a challenge for a lot of companies to, to find that in terms of having a good supply chain partner who can, who can scale up with you because it's going to be impossible, even ranging venture capital for you to do all of your manufacturing 100% in-house if you're making a, uh, let's say, a, a full consumer product. So, you know, we do we do part of our manufacturing in-house. So the, the, the filter technology that we talked about, we actually do that ourselves. So we have our own, own uh, uh, manufacturing facility that we built up domestically to, to, to take care of that piece. But you have to have the right partners on the other side. The other yeah. piece is that there's just... Um, there's some fear of the unknown, I think, uh, for investors because a lot of them are comfortable making uh, making software investments. They've had plenty of successes along the way, um, but there there's uh, there's challenges that they haven't necessarily faced with that are very different in the hardware space that uh, that they don't have as much experience with, and so there's a degree of caution uh, in in terms of looking at. Uh, investments in the space because there's a fear that okay well something could go wrong that that we don't anticipate and we don't know the the right pieces to ask this founder uh to reduce our risk on that side so i think there's some some of it is fear of the unknown some of it is the challenges and then the final piece is i think um you know hardware business models have also changed over time it's just selling a sing- single device upfront has been something that uh, that we've seen that public markets don't reward right and uh, and there's there's the, and then selling something that's made out of let's say commodity electronics has often also been challenged because you have fast follow-on from people who can do this cheaper in you know oftentimes Asian competitors but sometimes domestic as well and so for us you know the way that we solve for that is we innovated on the business model so we went to the subscription and then you know, our technology is based on really deep IP. The reason why we manufacture in-house is because we have real chemistry trade secrets that are difficult to replicate. And uh, and so that's where, where we've answered those questions as well. Got it. So for the folks listening, like to get a, a sense of the of the size of the operation, I mean, how many employees you have or what, what can you tell us? Yeah, so um, we've got about 120 uh, employees to date. And, uh, you know, where that's, that's across a number of different locations. We're headquartered in San Francisco, but I mentioned we also have uh, in-house manufacturing that's, that's based in Florida. So, uh, so yeah, we've, we've scaled up uh, uh, quite a bit over time. And uh, I think we were excited for the next set of challenges, fa- you know, that we're faced with. We've got a mission to serve, uh, you know, there's over a billion people in this world that are faced with chronic respiratory problems. People like me who have asthma or COPD, 
et cetera. And so we've got a long ways to scale to serve those billions of people. But, uh, but you know, we've been quite happy with how we've been able to scale so far. So obviously, uh, you know, long ways to scale and, you know, the, the journey and the, and the road ahead. I mean, imagine you go to sleep to, tonight, Dilip, eh, and you wake up in a world in five years where the vision of mm -hmm. the business is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, absolutely. So what I would say is that we have levels to our vision. So I think, um, you know, there's there's different pieces to this, right? But I think the base basic level for us is that uh, I think it's important for Pico to be now a fundamental infrastructure technology route there in the world. One of the things that I started uh, my pitch with, I actually looked back at a deck that I had designed back in 2013. So before I'd taken the full-time plunge into uh into the company but i was still you know it's on stanford campus various investors have office hours so i wanted to get their feedback before we actually you know, develop some of these things and one of the things that i had in there um was around uh around some of the work that we're doing today um you know unfortunately as a world we're faced with uh, quite a difficult situation today with the pandemic around COVID-19. And uh, one of the things that we had looked at even early on was the spread of airborne infectious disease, because one of the challenges that we're, you know, that we're often faced with is that uh, the technologies in this market, you know, the HEPA filter was designed around capturing dust back in the 1940s. So they they at that time weren't anticipating, okay, how do we use this technology to help uh, stop the spread of airborne infectious disease? And that's something that that we thought very deeply about because you know we're thinking about um, not just the allergens that that make people like me sick, but also the various bioaerosols, the molds, the bacteria, the viruses there in the air. And so we've now uh, today tested our our product and been able to get. Uh, you know, into healthcare with our, with the AirPro RX, our first device for healthcare that's been FDA cleared uh, for the destruction of proxy uh, viruses that like the ones that we're faced with today. And to me, you know, one of the things that we talked about as a moral imperative for us was to be able to, when some crisis like this happens, be able to scale up to match it. And I think the long-term piece or the, or where I'd like to wake up in five years is to see this technology not just in the standalone devices that we built, but as a fundamental part of infrastructure out there in the world. There's two pieces to that. One is being able to have infrastructure uh, in your HVAC systems that respond, that can actually help take care of problems like the one that we're faced with today. The other piece is that you know, if you if you just think about it on a on a on a normal basis, you know, how many times have you been in a stuffy room and felt like, oh, I want to be able, I need to take a step outside to clear my mind, right? That's a that's a fundamental piece. I mean, the air quality around you influences so much. There's there's many things that we've researched. There's many things that we don't even know yet um, in terms of in terms of how this impacts health. We just know that it has a deep impact on health. And I think our infrastructure, our indoor infrastructure should be able to provide you the same way that, you know, we're able to provide uh, provide you out of the tap, uh, you know, clean water to drink that, uh, you know, you don't need to go out and find a natural spring for that. We should be have our HVAC systems be able to provide you clean air to breathe that doesn't lead to that that feeling of stuffiness. Um, I mean, there's, there's various pieces to that. You also need natural light, these kinds of things. But uh, at least on the air front, 
something that uh, that's able to do the same thing that we've been able to do on water and let's say food, providing you something that where the infrastructure actually makes it healthier for you to exist in there as opposed to detracting from it. So I think that five-year vision is really being a fundamental part of the infrastructure and uh, and being able to to deliver on on a great clean air experience in that infrastructure. Very cool. And one of the questions that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is, knowing what you know now, Dilip, if you had the chance to go back in time, let's say to before 2014 when you launched the business, you know, and have a chance with that younger, to have a chat with that younger self, to, to, to chat with that younger Dilip, and you had the opportunity to give yourself one piece of business advice before launching a company, what would you give in terms of uh, advice, one piece of advice that would, you know, address that and why knowing what you know now? Well, one piece of advice is, is, is quite difficult because, uh, you know, there's there's hundreds of things I'd like to tell myself uh, before <laughs> starting the company. Um, right. You know, if we if we bottle it down to one, I think the the one of the decisions that we made, I think that was really important that we did this kind of unconsciously, but we do it now in a more, we try to do this in a more conscious way now um, as we've, we've matured as entrepreneurs and, and building and into building this company is the most important thing for your company is your values and your values need to be reflected um, not just from you, not just from your employees, but also from your investor base. I mean, you should really screen. I think we've been really lucky in retrospect, uh, to 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 be able to work with, you know, not just Jeff Clavier, Eric Chen, Chris Moody, uh, uh, Sam Wang, who led, led our last round, um, Mike Chung. These people are, are all people that I'm really proud to be associated with, because I feel like they reflect the values that we have as a company, and and it's important because when your board and when your investors reflect those values, it makes it easier for you to make values based decisions throughout the company. If everybody is aligned around that, then a lot of the other issues that you've got, I mean, like I said, there's a hundred things I'd like to tell myself at that point, because there's so many, um, there's so many things that, you know, in hindsight or with retrospect, you're able to, to fix. But the thing that, that's your North star through all of that, through all the ups and downs, through all the mistakes you make are your values as a company. And, uh, and, you know, I think that's, just emphasizing that is the one major piece of advice that I give myself and to have confidence in feeling like, yes, if we do this right, we will get the other things right. Um, because, you know, going through that journey, uh, oftentimes there are times when you're scared if something's going to work out. Uh, but the more confidence that you have in your values and your way of doing things, those other pieces will eventually work themselves out. If you have the right process, um, at some point in time, if you have enough persistence and determination, the results always follow. And so that's the, you know, it just, it's just a matter of how much time and how much determination you want to put behind something. And so, um, and so that's, that's, I think, a, the most important piece of advice I'd give myself. I love it. So for the folks that are listening, Dilip, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, 
take a look at our website. You can always, uh, you know, uh, shoot, you know, shoot an email, contact us through there. And, uh, and, you know, we're really excited to, to talk to people. I'm happy to talk to people about, uh, entrepreneurship and, and our journey. Uh, there's plenty of people who come through, uh, and, and reach out to me that, that I try to help advise as best I can. Um, and if there's people who are interested in learning more about the technology of the product, the, the site is the best place, best place, uh, for that as well. Amazing. Well, Dilip, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you, Alejandro. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and, uh, and you know, hope that uh, the words that I've spoken here have been helpful to others today. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.